Thank you all for joining us on NeuroNoodle's Neuropsychology and Neurofeedback podcast featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Janssens and Dr. Skip Wren. They've been practicing for over 50 years and will be sharing their knowledge with you in the next uh, 60 minutes or so. You can find Dr. Laura at Janssons.com, J-A-N-S-O-N-S.com. And Dr. Skip can be found at Dr. Skip Wren. That's D-R-S-K-I-P-H-R-I-N.com. Uh, today's topic is going to be New Year, New You. It's New Year's Eve as we're recording it. Um, we're going to discuss New Year's resolutions and goal setting. It's going to be a fun podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we're It's only the two of us, Dr. Laura. Do- Dr. Skip's uh, out for the count for New Year's. Hopefully he, he gets better. He's a little under the weather. Yep. Uh, get well soon, uh, soon, Skip. We miss you. Shout out, Skip. Shout out. Got to see you next year. Okay, a couple books that you should know that we're going to be talking about in today's podcast is going to be Brian Tracy's Goals and Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Effective People, Highly Effective People. And then also Dr. Laura is going to be talking uh, about Lisa Feldman Barrett's book, How to Harness Brain Science for Better uh, Neuro experience. Okay. Let's get to the main topic, Dr. Laura. Goal setting for 2021. Everybody is going to imbibe tonight. They're going to get their roush on, wake up tomorrow with a big old headache and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that in 2021. Before they set all these audacious goals and resolutions, we figure we might as well help them uh, figure out the proper way to set goals or at least give an attempt at it. What What do you say, Dr. Laura? Should we help them out? Now is the time. Now is the time. Okay. First thing is SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T. Okay. They need to be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. I don't want to belabor it, but it's a lot of people say they're going to lose weight. Well, specifically, how much are you going to lose weight? Oh, you're going to start working out? Okay, great. You bench press 50 pounds now. Do you want to bench press 75 pounds in, in 60 days? Okay. It needs to be achievable. If you've never lifted weights in your life and you're 60 years old and you put on 415 on the bench, I don't think that's an achievable goal. Relevant. Do you even want to bench press 415 pounds? Okay. Time bound. How long are you going to give yourself to, to reach that goal? So going down the list on the, on the objectives, Dr. Laura, which one do you think is the most important? Time bound or specific? Well, I mean, you do want to identify where you're going. And, um, you know, we're going to start to talk about Stephen Covey's goal setting also. And he has a step in his seven habits about uh, beginning with the end in mind. And, it's we we do that with our neurofeedback patients, even if they're you know they're coming for neurofeedback, you know they're they're sitting kind of passively in a lazy boy chair, getting their uh, uh, learning to correct their brain functioning. Even before they start that process with us, we do have them uh, kind of sit and imagine what they're going to work on before they work on it. Kind of imagine what it looks like, imagine what it feels like. You know, use all their senses to. Uh, develop the plan. And so I guess in my opinion, it's, it's making sure you know where you're going, which, which basket you're shooting at, et cetera. 
So if you had a magic wand, you wave it, what does the future look like or what do you want it to look like? And what, what's holding you back? I think that's the biggest thing that we can help people out is what are the obstacles from you achieving your goals? A lot of people, their obstacle is they don't know what they want. So mm -hmm. talking about smart goals can kind of help them out. For instance, you know, a lot of clients I work with, they, their goal was to get out of their parents' house. Okay, great. Where do you want to go? Have you even looked on Zillow? What neighborhood do you want to live in? Do you have a picture of the place that you want to live in? Now you don't, you're living in your parents' house. You may not make a lot of money, but now's the perfect time to get a realtor to figure out where it is that you do want to go. So you know how much the house costs where you want to live. You know, some people have different needs, different tastes. Someone doesn't want to live in a million dollar house. They want to live in a hundred thousand dollar house, what, whatever it is. If it's a hundred thousand dollar house, how much of a down payment do you need? How long will it take you to get there? Get a mortgage broker right now. They don't cost anything. Real estate agent doesn't cost anything. Get out there and get the stats that of the things that you want to accomplish. Take a picture of it. Get a time together. You know, at your current job, if you need $20,000, how long will it take you to get that down payment? Okay, time bound. Steve uh, Covey's book, Seven, Happy, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I'm going to go down the list. Dr. Laura, I know it's a favorite book of yours mm -hmm. from 1989. It's same here. If any of these points uh, stick out, please, please jump in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number one, sharpen the saw. Don't work yourself to death. To me, that one has to deal with routine. Get in a routine to help you afford the lifestyle that you want. You know, burning the candle at both, both ends. Well, if it's affecting your health, health, maybe you should, you know, reassess. Number two, be, be proactive. Okay. You have a natural need to wield influence on the world around you. You want to take control. If you're anxious, to me, that means that you're afraid of the unknown or afraid of the future. But if you feel like you're in control of the outcome, that can help your anxiety by being proactive. Now, number three, begin with an end in mind. Don't spend your life working aimlessly, tackling whatever jobs at hand. Have a vision for the future. That's what you were talking about, right, Dr. Laura? Absolutely, right. Where are you going? Okay. All right, magic wand. What does it look like? Uh, four, put, put first things first. Prioritize your work. Focus on what's important. There's a great chart that we'll put on the blog later that uh, there's four quadrants in the upper, let's see, you want to work on important and urgent things. Okay, if something's not urgent and not important, you don't want to work on it. I don't want to oversimplify it, but you have a lot of people who like to do busy work and they like to think that they're busy, but they're doing tasks that do not help them get them closer to their goals. Um, number five, think win-win. When negotiating with others, don't try to get the biggest slice of the cake. Rather, find a division that's acceptable to all parties. You'll still get your fair share, build a strong, positive relationship. Don't be greedy. Six, seek first to understand. To me, that means listen. A lot of people, like me on this podcast, they do all the talking and they don't listen. Okay, what is the other person trying to communicate? All right. Seven, synergize. Adopt the guiding principle that in a group, the contributions of many will far exceed those or, or an individual. So take all the help that you can get to achieve your goals. You know, if it's a life coach, a psychologist, if it's neurofeedback, what is the obstacle holding you back? 
If somebody does a QEEG or a brain map, Dr. Laura, and somebody's having a problem achieving their goals or getting started, what would you see in that brain map that would give you a clue that, hey, you know what, there's something going on here that you got to address before you try to achieve your goals? Yeah, good, good question. And there actually is a signature uh, profile of someone who has difficulty with goal setting. And um, we know that the front part of the brain has to do with uh, executive functioning. It's the executive uh, that helps you organize your impulses. And, um, you know, I, I do a lot of neuropsych testing, even before we get into the, the QEGs, we do, you know, the traditional paper and pencil testing. And, um, you know, I could test somebody and figure out, hey, you know what, they have all the right tools, they have the ability to think, they have the ability to problem solve and put things in a sequential order and strategize and, you know, kind of, they can think through the problems, you know, they're, we'll say, you know, smart or they have a nice IQ, but there are several people and we all probably know somebody, you know, they can have a high IQ, but they're not doing anything. And so the issue a lot of times becomes not, you know, can you do it, but will you? And it has to do with motivation, effort, oomph, uh, juice. And, uh, you know, that's definitely a frontal lobe issue in terms of uh, motivation. So we can definitely see a signature piece uh, a pattern in the brain when, when there's low motivation. The, the other thing that we can also identify, and this kind of goes hand in hand with people who struggle with addiction, uh, there's there's other regions in the brain more central, more more deeper in through the the middle, where um, if you're prone to addiction, this kind of goes hands in, hand in hand with a low motivation. If you're prone to addiction, um, you, you need more uh, reward to feel pleasure, and that kind of gets you hooked in the drug. So if your your baseline is low motivation, you're going to get drawn to certain drugs that give you artificial stimulation. We'll say. And uh, there's definitely brain patterns uh, for that. Um, and, you know, the good news is that, you know, once we identify these brain patterns, we, uh, you know, apply, the, you know, help you apply the training so that you learn to, you know, self-correct these areas. And we actually had plenty of clients who come in who, uh, you know, with different addictions, um, who uh, are, are using less. Uh, in fact, um, it, there's a specific training that's used that we have to have people sign a piece of paper saying that um, they may lose interest in uh, alcohol, even if they don't have an alcohol problem. So there, there's definitely uh, things changing around the brain um, when we're talking about addiction. And so neurofeedback can be a, a powerful tool in helping people, helping us identify these issues, helping people, you know, resolve some of these issues and, um, you know, not just addiction, but other motivational things that keep keep you away from doing your goals in general. My background has been in the corporate world on the sales side. And, you know, the end of the year, you have people scrambling to get their, their last minute sales in, reaching out to their clients. And then when that's done, they have to look at their next year's goals. And the, and the quotas that they have to get to, they always go up. Um, Brian Tracy was a, was a good uh, sales motivator that uh, I started listening to back in the day in the audio books when I had to drive around in the car and knock on doors. One of the things he talked about is self-concept. Now, you're the doctor. I'm just the, 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 the MBA guy. But that self-concept, what I saw in the sales world was you had somebody 
that didn't think they were worth worth more. Let's just say somebody was poor. Their their goal was to make sixty thousand dollars. That was a lot of money. When they achieved it, they wouldn't work any harder or any less to then make that sixty thousand dollars because they didn't feel like they were worth more. In a psychological world, how is that? How does that play out, Doctor Laura? Is that well, even true? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's making me think of, you know, we talk about the 80s with Stephen Covey and you get into the 90s and it brings up this concept of the secret. And, um, you know, I'm bringing up a little bit tongue in cheek because, uh, uh, you know, it's not based necessarily in psychological uh, knowledge, but but more in this this concept of, you know, if you dream about it, it, it comes true. And it, it's not a magic pill, but yeah, if you don't identify where you're going, um, you know, you're not, it's not going to uh, materialize, but then there's this piece of it, you know, get into, do, you can't get in the psychological piece of it that your unconscious uh, knows no negatives. And that's a, I think a Freudian phrase where if you're thinking, boy, what if this, you know, what if this negative thing happens, that's all your, your brain understands is this negative thing will happen. I, you know, if you tell yourself I can only make 40,000 because that's, you know, the, the top limit of my family uh, historically, then um, and you tell yourself I can't make 60,000 or, or I, I, you know, there's some fear and fear base in there, then that's the only thing your unconscious pays attention to is, is what's not going to happen. And it, and you kind of get stuck in those limits. So, so the idea behind the secret, the idea behind positive psychology a goal setting in general, Stephen Covey, all these, you know, people with, you know, for being forward thinkers is, yeah, imagine yourself having a million. Why not? Like, what's what's the harm in letting yourself believe you can have a million dollars and, you know, address all the fears and boy, you know, we, we want to not dream about those things because we're afraid we won't get them. And that fear is what kind of hold, holds things back. So, you know, a valid point for sure. Well, it's, what do you call it? Self-affirmations. You can say, you know, I like myself. I like myself. I'm going to do great. Or you can have recurring thoughts that say, oh, you'll never do it. You'll never make it. You're not worth more than that. And that's kind of where the neurofeedback can come in to help with those recurring thoughts, right? That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and again, it's the the sitting in the chair, doing the neurofeedback and kind of working at, you know, reducing those critical thinking, but it's also, you know, helping, you know, people in the counseling end of it to, you know, identify the the negative thinking and, and, you know, it's, you know, going back to the, this concept of the secret, you can, it makes me think of, uh, was that Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. You know, the the big joke, but um, you know, we can have the positive affirmations all day long, but if it's still in your gut, it's not going to happen. You know, you still have that fear, that underlying uh, uh, self-talk that, you know, it'll never happen. So it's not just saying it, but feeling it, embodying it, so to speak. And, um, you know, making sure you get after those, those you know, the negative uh, talk. And, and definitely there's a place in the brain, you know, you can get into that too, that um, we call it the default mode network and, you know, bring all, all these uh, luxury terms into this, but uh the idea is when, when you're sitting and doing nothing, you know, basically whatever, I'm sitting uh, looking out the window at the snow, you know, uh, just whatever, watching the cars go by, you're, you're not doing anything. You're not dusting the furniture. You're not reading your email. You're just sitting there. 
your, your brain goes to this default mode. And uh, by neuroscientific uh, law, when you're doing nothing, your brain goes to what they call self-referential thinking. You start thinking about yourself and you think about yourself in a judgmental way. And it's not only, you know, the, there's a purpose to that. It's not only to, you know, develop low self-esteem. It's, it's more about if you have self-corrective thinking, then you're, you are going to make changes. You know, if I'm sitting and thinking, boy, I need a haircut, um, you know, that that's a, a legitimate thought. I actually do need a haircut. And so what, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to call and get an appointment or I'm going to take the afternoon off on Friday and make it happen, whatever. So you have to have a little bit of corrective thinking to, to set a goal. Uh, the problem happens is when you're, uh, you know, sitting in that default mode for too long or those thoughts repeat and repeat and, and you know, and you don't do anything about it, then it turns into depression, then it turns into anxiety. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a psychological basis, you know, against the goal setting and identifying what you're doing and, and realizing that having some of that negative, so to speak, talk is actually normal. It's normal to sit and, you know, say, hey, I need to lose a couple pounds, hey, or in my case, more baby. But, um, you know, it, it, those are all normal kinds of things. It becomes pathological when, you know, again, they become repetitive and you're, you're actually not executing and you're beating yourself up. And um, but but that is absolutely the point of narrow feedback and the, you know, the side uh, counseling to, you know, figure out how to get around the default mode. And, and the point is, you know, with knowing that we have a default mode is that once you start doing anything, even if you get up and start dusting the table, the, the second you start doing anything, putting your shoes on, dusting the table, rearranging, you know, the coffee mugs in your shelf, um, by doing that, you disengage the default mode and then you engage the, the goal um, network. There is a, a specific network in the brain that activates when you start doing anything. And there's an absolute brain pattern that matches the executive network. And it's, um, you can't have both at once. You can't have the default mode going and the executive at once, you know, one's on, one's off and they switch back and forth. So bottom line is that in neurofeedback and with our QEEG uh, picturing, uh, images, um, we, we can help you understand that and, and make the executive network stronger and help you switch out of default mode a lot easier. Well, you're trying to get, you're trying to break your regular patterns, right? It's, if you're, if you're, if you're sitting in a chair and you're not doing anything, okay, dusting a, a shelf is better than sitting in a chair. If you're sitting in a chair and let's just say you're on social media and you're comparing your life against somebody else's by the pictures that they post on there, that's just a bad routine, right? It's a doom loop and you get depressed. So getting out of the chair, dusting something, uh, a new pattern, a new schedule, a new habit. uh, How long does it take to create a new habit, Dr. Laura? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I've always heard, and I don't have any uh, science-based evidence of my finger, but you always hear that 21 days to make a habit. And I don't know who came up with that or if it has any uh, legitimacy, but um, that's kind of the, the going phrase. And, and why not? I mean, pick it, you know, pick 22 days. It doesn't much matter. Uh, you know, do it and, and, and see what happens. It, it seems to me if you, you change, you know, today, you're, you're breaking the habit from yesterday. So it might take one day to break a habit. 
uh, when we're talking about neurofeedback, uh, we uh, typically go in rounds of 10. So we repeat the same training 10 times and then reassess and, and go at it another 10 times or, you know, change directions, whatever. But, you know, whether it's 21 days or, or 10 days, um, there's a, when we talk about, they call it heavy end learning, um, uh, the original uh, researcher who, who studied uh, behavior uh, learning, um, HEB, H-E-B-B, uh, he had this phrase, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So that's the point is that you do the same thing over and over again, whether it's a golf swing or a baseball swing or playing a note on the piano, the, the more repetitions you do it, the more it sticks. So, uh, you know, we could say it's probably individualized. How long will it take you to, to learn this skill? I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll say it's, you know, between one and 21 days or, you know, so, sometimes things take longer. But but the point is setting the goal and let's see what happens if we do it 10 times and, and, and reassess and see, see what we have to do after that. So you know, it's always the first step that starts it. So we talked about making more money. I mean, I'm just trying to think of everybody right. waking up tomorrow morning and all right, I need to make more money. Oh, wait, I need some aspirin because my head hurts. Uh, I better go work out. Okay. Talking about habits, I mean, just walking for 20 minutes doing that 21 days in a row, I mean, that will improve your physical condition versus what you were doing before, right? Just a simple walk around the house for 20 minutes, right? Right. Put your shoes on. Yeah. I was, yeah. I, I, I used to work at a bariatric surgery clinic um, and uh, weight loss uh, surgery uh, clinic. And before they were allowed, so to speak, to get their surgery, they had to participate in behavior management. And that, that's exactly, you know, things we did with people is help them, you know, even if you just put your shoes on, you know, your, your goal is to walk around the block. And, and there's some people who, who you know, they, their weight is, you know, at a point where they can't walk around, you know, because of the, the pain, cannot walk around the block. And so the, the first goal was always, you know, tie your shoe, put it on, tie your shoe. If you got that far and you go back to bed, that's fine. At least you, like you said, break the habit. And, you know, one step lead, leads to the other kind of thing. So it's breaking your, uh, you know, steps down into manageable bites so that, you know, you're not discouraging yourself by saying, hey, my goal today is, is to walk, you know, around the block five times. Well, if you can't, you know, get out your driveway, then, you know, that's just discouraging kinds of stuff. You know, and the, the other thing I, I think of um, is sometimes the, the reward doesn't come until afterwards. So I, I always tell, you know, would tell bariatric and weight loss patients that, um, you know, wanting to do it is not a requirement. Well, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get on the treadmill. I don't, I don't want to do this. And um, I, I'll, I'll say, you know, that's not a requirement. You don't have to, I mean, your ultimate goal, you ultimately want the goal. But if, if you don't want to do the individual steps, I will say that actually kind of doesn't matter because you will want to have done it after you do it. So the reward comes afterwards. We all know that feeling of, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to get up early. I want to sleep late. I, you know, this hurts, that hurts. Um, but once you do it, you you feel good about, Hey, you know what? I did do it. And you, you kind of get refreshed, you know, again, not beforehand, but after. So wanting to do it, um, you know, tends to, you know, if you do, do want it, don't want it, that, that tends to inhibit the progress. And, and so it's a matter of kind of barreling through that initial, um, you know, not, not wanting to. Is there something psychological going on when you take a piece of paper and a pen and you write down that 
today I'm going to put my shoes on. Today I'm at 2 p.m. I'm going to walk for 20 minutes. The minute that you write it down, does it become real and your mind takes it more seriously or, or that's not the case? Absolutely. You know, um, I'll bring in that uh, Dr. Barrett. She has a, a new book out, uh, The Seven and a Half uh, Steps to Brain Functioning, um, something on that order. Sorry, I don't have the exact name in front of me, but but uh, she's a neuroscientist from uh, uh, Harvard, I believe. And she is bringing this idea to the table that the brain is always in prediction. It's always predicting what it's going to do. And so, but based on past experience. So as you say, if you write something down, you're setting in motion a prediction of this thing actually coming true. And she used the point that, um, you know, our our brain is used to, uh, for example, drinking water. So if you tell yourself, I feel thirsty, the the very second after you, you drink a glass of water, your, your brain says, okay, that's enough water. I'm, I'm no longer thirsty. But her point is that your the, the cells in your body are not full after, you know, one second of drinking water. It takes a while for the water to get into your system to, you know, re- regulate things so that your, your body is realistically full. But this idea of I drank the water in the past, I've drank water. I'm no longer thirsty is an immediate response. So, so the point is that you know, what you do tell yourself, you know, in terms of whether, you know, I drink water, I'll, I'll no longer be thirsty, or if I write my goals down, that that's a kind of a, a vicarious way of, of um, actually accomplishing them. So it's telling the, you know, it's setting in the motion or priming the brain to have already achieved the goal. And that, that carries a lot of weight. So I'm just trying to think about the people waking up tomorrow. Let's say they want to make more money. They want another job. Um, Touching on the job thing, if you don't have better options, whether it's a job or relationship, and Laura, you can jump Mm -hmm. in on the psychological part of it. I think where you feel antsy is it's like you feel stuck in a rut. I don't have another job to go to because this one isn't fulfilling me. Or um, if you're in a marriage, it's one thing. But if you're just dating and you don't have a choice to choose who you want to go out with, you're kind of stuck for that uh, one person who doesn't treat you the way you, you should be treated. Um, any of that uh, ring true to have options and feeling less anxious or in control, Dr. Laura? Well, um, you're talking about a couple you know, different things with different uh, values. Um, yeah, the value of having a job that you know translates into survival and the value of having a relationship is also a level of survival, but you need the job, you know, and, and security before you, you know, have, have the social security. Um, so in, in terms of like job, like I, I talked to, you know, literally somebody yesterday who said, you know, stuck at the same, you know, worked for the cable company, stuck at the same job for, you know, 25 years. And, you know, my job uh, transitioned to this other thing I didn't want to want to do, but I was stuck there. And, and, uh, uh since he was let go, um, or actually, you know, if, if I recall, he, he quit the job um, because it was just so, so miserable, but it was the best thing he ever done. Like, okay, if you, you, you never get out of it, you, don't, you never allow yourself to have new opportunities, but yeah, you kind of get looped into the boy, you know, the fears of if I, if I uh, 
leave this job, I'm going to starve to death. And, and the truth of the matter is you don't. People don't starve to death after they lose a job. Um, you know, you can think back to all the jobs you've lost in the past. We, you know, most of us are, are not at the same jobs. And you can, you know, look at your history and say, you know, um, you, you will find a job. A job, you know, happens. And it's, you know, this kind of leap of faith that it's going to be okay because your instincts are telling you, yeah, I will starve to death if I lose a job. So you're battling your own kind of, you know, genealogy of, of you know, if, if I don't have money coming in, then it's going to, you know, lead to death. And, and you know, all, most all the time that that's never true. Then you're talking about relationships and, um, you know, being a psychotherapist, I've, I've counseled, I'd say hundreds of people through divorces and the one thing that I could just say anecdotally is that it takes uh, exactly plus or minus a day, uh, six months to uh, grieve a relationship. And so people will tell themselves, I'll never survive or I'll never get through this or I'll never, you know, um, you know, become anything. And, and you, you know, again, the same point about the job, if, if you don't get out of a bad situation, you, you never give yourself an opportunity for a better one. And, um, you know, sometimes feeling unsafe is what needs to happen in order to move on to the next place. And then, you know, this little leap of well, huge, huge leap of faith that it's going to be okay. So, um, you know, again, to this fear based, you know, fears are there for a reason in terms of survival, but in this day and age, we, we don't need such strong survival mechanisms. We, we can, I'll say outsmart them, you know, using, you know, psychology to uh, move us forward to the next place. So, you know, that fears are real and anxiety is real. You know, it's not to downplay those things, but but to know from experience that you can get get through the anxieties and, and get on to, um, you know, new beginnings. Somebody's waking up tomorrow, Dr. Laura, and they're like, oh, man, I'm I got to stop drinking. I got to stop weed. I got it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. How do you know when you have a problem and need to address it? I know it's a very vague question, but this is a very yeah. vague podcast. Well, um, Albert Ellis, he, he's a, a name in the psychology field. He, he talked about uh, rational and irrational thinking. It, it's irrational. He would say, uh, it's irrational to do something that, that harms you. So, you know, there, there's, you think of addiction or, you know, um, self-abusive behavior and that could be drinking. It doesn't have to be that you're addicted to drinking, but yeah, if it gives you a headache, you know, you're putting your finger into a flame and go, Oh, that hurts. And then the next day you're doing it again. And, and so it's irrational to keep, you know, burning the tip of your finger. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's kind of clue number one, if it's, if it's doing you, you know, personal or psychological damage, you know, um, you know, obviously that's a problem. And then I, I think the point is, you know, once those things add up and you can identify that you're out of control, that, then that kind of presses you in, into making a change. And waking up on New Year's Day isn't always you know, the, the thing for people, they can wake up on New Year's Day and still have that hangover that they've had every New Year's you know, day or, or every day that week or every day that, you know, whatever the month. And, um, and that may not be enough for people. Um, sometimes you need more consequence to, to make a change. And, um, you know, that, that can be the reality for a lot of people, but consequences are, 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 are uh, can be very strong. You know, if it's hurting a relationship in your life or it's hurting your job or 
um, you know, it's rare that people, you know, will wake up one day and say, hey, you know what, I, I want to make this change, especially when the, you know, if you're, you're kind of looped into those things, you know, whether through addiction or habit, um, yeah, very difficult uh, decisions to make. And sometimes people just wake up and make them. They, they just say, you know, I've had enough or, you know, the situation's been enough or I'm having a new day. I'm, I'm feeling optimistic and, and they, they make the change. It doesn't have to be New Year's Day. It could be, you know, you know, uh, March 3rd. You know, it's a individualized thing, of course. But, you know, many people do take the opportunity to say, hey, New Year. And again, you know, we've you know, gotten through 2020. I don't know how any of us survived any of it. But, um, you know, so it's a, a, you know, special time, special new year for all of us, because, you know, we've been in lockdown and you talk about anxieties and unknowns, et cetera. And to have this opportunity, you know, it seems like there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines coming in. And, um, you know, uh, what do you want to do with your time? I'm sure people, have, you know, been doing some self uh, exploration during, you know, these downtimes. Many people have lost their jobs or kind of, you know, stuck at home and it gives you opportunity to think about, okay, you know, what is important to me, you know, how do I want the next year, once the, you know, once we're free, so to speak, and we take the mask off and go somewhere, you know, are we going to still take stuff for granted, or are we going to, you know, realize, okay, you know, time is precious, going to a restaurant is a, is precious, and, and kind of, um, you know, valuing those things a little bit more, and, uh, you know, where, where do I really want to spend my time, I'm going to be allowed to go out, you know, in public again, and where do I want to go? Who do I want to spend time with? And, and you know, are we going to enjoy the, the restaurant a little bit more? And the food's going to taste a little bit better because we, we weren't allowed to have it, you know, for the, the year or whatever it's been. Would a simple phrase, um, I hate to oversimplify, but somebody wakes up and they think they have a problem with drugs, whatever, drinking, whatever. If they can uh, stop doing it for 21 days, is that a good test for them? I think it's a great have a test, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, make the goal. And again, you know, can, you know, are we to be the ones to say, okay, it takes 21 days or 22 days, but set the goal. It, it doesn't matter how many, you know, see what happens. See, if you can get to the 21 days, then, then bonus, you know, you, you talk to someone in AA, for example, you know, you know, the catchphrase is before I say it, you know, one day at a time, you get, get through this hour, you make it through the hour without, you know, jumping into the, the bottle or jumping into the cookie box or whatever. Um, that then you that, then the success happens and that success builds so the re, that becomes the reward so as I was saying earlier that the reward happens afterwards not before you can set the goal imagine the goal imagine what it'll feel like to have gone an hour without drinking or smoking or having that cookie um, imagine what that feels like but then when it does happen now you have the actual experience and that reward you know then the rewards start to build and outweigh the the reward of, of you know, the temporary artificial reward of the drug. So just rehashing on the SMART goals, I mean, you're being specific, you want to stop drinking alcohol or stop having actions that are detrimental to your life when you drink alcohol. Write down a goal of 21 days without mm -hmm. drinking to see if you're addicted cross off the days on the calendar, right? You're physically writing it down and, and it's either you do it or you don't, whether it's 21 days, 22, 19, whatever it is, just the mere fact of you taking action is going to help you feel better. And number two, to see if you really do have a issue. What else do uh, people come to, come to you, uh, Dr. Laura? I, I know the gyms are always 
full, you know, at the beginning of January, or they used to be. Um, uh, drinking jobs, relationships, anything else that people come come to you? Well, uh, you know, typical habits, right? Smoking, uh, got a lot of, you know, I'll stereotype and say kids, but uh, people coming, they're vaping, they're, um, uh, there's, there's video game addictions, there's, you know, especially, you know, talking about lockdown, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck on the, uh, you know, the stereotypical basement, you know, on the internet, um, people are on their phones, you know, and just kind of not being, not being present, not being mindful. Um, so, you know, any, any behavior that gets in the way of your, you know, mindfulness or your, your self health, you know, uh, those kinds of things, but, you know, the, the, the typical things, you know, especially with COVID, you know, your anxieties, your depression, a lot of things, you know, people tolerate a lot or, or and, and people may not, you know, realize how depressed they've been in this last year until you know that there's hope that it could get better. So you just kind of, you know, duck and bear it. Um, and, uh, you know, people can say, hey, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done being in this mood. I'm done being anxious. Uh, I'm, I'm done, as you say, with this relationship. I'm done with this house. Um, or, or maybe it's time to, you know, make changes in your house. You can set goals. You know, when, when we talk about life coaching, um, you, know, you can talk in terms of psychopathology with, you know, diagnosable things that people want to uh, improve upon. But if you're thinking just merely life coaching, um, they'll break life down into, you know, six or eight different categories. And, you know, one of them definitely is your, your mental health and your physical health, you know, your emotional health. But then you also want to set goals in the other areas of your life, like your family health. How are your relationships with other people, not just your spouse, but your siblings and your parents and your cousins and, you know, what are your family goals? You know, now that we're, you know, uh, talking to each other on Zoom and, and maybe having more long distance, uh, you know, discussions with people on Zoom and, you know, what role do we want to have, you know, family in, in our life? You know, where do we value it now? You know, now, now that that, you know, we're our friends versus our families, so you have family goals, but you also have financial goals, as, as you already kind of mentioned, you know, how much money do you want to make in this next year? How much money are you going to believe that you can, you can make? Where do you want to cut, you know, do you want to cut the cable? Do you want to, you know, cut, you know, certain you know, things that are uh, money wasters, so to speak? So you have financial goals, uh, spiritual goals. You want to get back to, you know, church services or something or, uh, you know, begin a meditation practice. Uh, and, and they have, you know, house goals is, is uh, maybe luxurious as that sounds, but maybe, you know, you've been, you know, trying to clean out the basement or the garage and, you know, that clutter, cleaning out the basement, throwing, or I'm sorry, the closets and throwing out stuff that has no value. You know, there, there's some uh, definite benefit in, in kind of going through those, those uh, uh, behaviors and, and the cleansing that that does not just for your house, but, you know, emotionally that, uh, you know, these things have been wearing on me, you know, sitting, sitting down there in the basement, you know, feeling healthier about cleaning things out. So, or fixing whatever, you get that post out in, in the back porch that you've been, you know, meaning to repair. So kind of doing house repairs and changing furniture and throwing out, you know, garbage in the, in the garage, those, those are all absolute goal setting things in terms of, uh, you know, personal health and, and growth. And, and so, yeah, it's just kind of seeking out the different areas of your life and, and not only seeing things in terms of, you know, you know, physical health. Okay. If you don't have diabetes, you're not going to set a goal or you don't have a weight problem. You're not going to set a goal that, you know, that kind of, 
um, can lead to stagnation. But but there's all other areas of, of your life that, that you want to see see change and not just the so-called bad habits. I don't see it anywhere in the SMART goals, but I have read that, uh, and I've done it myself, when you share what your goals are with somebody else, it kind of helps you accountable. How does that cycle? Yeah, right. So yeah, it makes it, it makes it conscious, mm-hmm. makes it, you know, someone, uh, you know, you're sharing the experience for sure, the ups and downs of, of trying, but then the other thing, you know, if you, you think someone else is looking at you, not necessarily that they're judging you, but you know, if they, they see you with a chicken leg or turkey, you know, chicken legs probably fine, but you know, uh, fried fried chicken, you know, versus the grilled, I guess. Yeah. Um, you're gonna, um, you know, imagine what they're thinking and what you're thinking, and letting yourself down and, and possibly letting them down, and, and not to make it, you know, negative consequences as much as yeah, it, it makes it real. There's a reality to it when when you say it, and absolutely sharing it with people you trust who are going to support you. Absolutely, a big big part right. of the change. Uh, last one here, a- anxiety, you brought up COVID and anxiety. What do you tell people that are worried about getting COVID, but they're also worried about getting the vaccine? How do you, yeah, how do you yeah great that? question. Yeah. Um, you know, again, from the hopeful side, yeah, we see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, with the vaccines coming down the pike and, um, you know, personally, uh, uh, I've, I've known people who are starting to get the vaccine. My neighbor, two neighbors who uh, work at the hospital nearby, yeah, they just got the vaccines. And I have colleagues who are in hospital systems and they're starting to get the vaccine. And, um, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of anxiety about, you know, side effects and and um, there's just kind of vague anxiety about, you know, when when is it going to be my turn to, to get the vaccine? So, um a lot, a lot of things on that end, you know, getting it and not getting it can, can cause anxiety. And, um, you know, certainly those are all, all the kinds of things that, that we, we work on with the neurofeedback. And, and again, this piece of, you know, kind of having faith that, you know, um, the, the, the benefit of the vaccine is going to outweigh the, the negative of the disease. And, and we don't know. And it's just all kind of unknown. And, and maybe we're just kind of all in the same boat of, you know, back to one hour at a time. Okay, my neighbor got the vaccine. And hey, look, I just saw him out there shoveling the snow. He's okay. He's going to make it. And, um, you know, and, and the point of it is, yeah, you know, one day we're going to get out, get out and be able to take these masks off. And, um, you know, having hope for the future, if, if we all kind of think it's never going to happen, you know, everyone's going to be depressed and, and uh, you know, fear-based, then, you know, you know, what is, you know, what kind of depression does that lead to? And, and someone has to take the chance and, and, uh, you know, keep, keep plugging forward. We're, we're a species that are, you know, positive driven and, and, and life driven and instinctively, you know, I don't think it's polyandrous, instinctively we're going to survive. We're going to figure it out because, because we always do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do- Dr. Laura, thank you. I think that'll do it. I'm running out of juice here, literally and figuratively. Yep. I'm sure. Uh, well, we hope everyone uh, got some enjoyment out of this. It was a primer to everyone getting on their 2021 goals started. Dr. Laura can be found at Janssen's.com. Dr. Skip can be found at drskipren.com. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Happy New Year, everyone. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>